Well, November 26th, 2002. See, you know what happened that day? Yes. Jack Kendrick was born. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I just want to make sure he was paying attention today. <laughs> his, his birth meant that the Kendrick household now had three children under age three and a half uh, living under our roof. Now, if you don't think that's a big deal, try it sometime. <laughs> some of you are. Some of you are trying that. Um, the day that Jack was born, Susan was still in the hospital, and, and I came home uh, to our other two children who were running fevers, uh, our pastor and his wife who were there trying to help out, uh, and a friend of mine who was uh, in the attic trying to put in a vent from a bathroom we had put in the basement uh, up through the roof. We had finished the basement in the months coming up to, before Jack's birth. And he was up there in the attic, and he wanted me to, to go outside in the dark and the cold and the snow uh, and climb up on the roof and work while he was working on the inside. And I politely declined um, that invitation. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing about that day. It only lasted 24 hours. Uh, and, 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 and then it was over with. And pretty soon Susan came home and uh, got, we got settled back in and I went back to work. Uh, I went back to, to driving down to Boone every day to, to hang out with college students. Which, that's what my job was. While Susan had to stay at home trying to manage the chaos. And one of the things that compounded that difficulty was well, we were living in Boone and we were living on the east side of of the town, uh, right along the Blue Ridge Parkway. And the fog would roll in like crazy on that side of town. Uh, we, we had a neighbor who said once that he was trying to watch television and he had the windows open and the fog rolled through and he couldn't see the television anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but it could get pretty thick. Another thing that was true was that we lived on top of a hill and I would drive down the hill to go into town. And when you got to the bottom of the hill, the, the fog would lift. And so Susan was at home with the, with the kids, and I would drive down out of the fog into town. And, and, and to hear her tell it, uh, I was driving down in the sunshine and warm summer breezes and free margaritas and Jimmy Buffett music. And it, it really was still cold, and, and you know, it wasn't that beautiful in town. Uh, and, and to hear her tell it, I would drive home and sit in the car for about an hour because I didn't want to go in <laughs> to the house. And that may or may not be true. Um, but but those, were, those were difficult days. Uh, but as my high school English teacher said when she gave us a hard test, this too shall pass. Uh, this too shall pass. And it did. But, but it's hard to see that that's going to happen when you're in the midst of of all the difficulties, is this really ever going to be over with? I mean, some of you right now are in the midst of very hard and difficult times, and you're wondering when, you know, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? I don't see it. Uh, James' readers were facing difficulty. Uh, they were facing difficulty because of many of them were living in, in poverty. Uh, many of them were being persecuted by the wealthy, by those who had something, who had more, and they were mistreating them. And so what do they need to hear? What do we need to hear uh, in the midst of, of difficult situations? Well, this is God's word to us. James 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, 
until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would give us uh, insight into your word and that you would uh, use that word to give us insight into our own hearts and encouragement for our own hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> what do you do when you just can't take it anymore? When, when you want to give up? When you can't take one more day like this? What do you do when you want to lash out at somebody who has perhaps harmed you or, or someone in your family? What do you do when the people around you are getting on your last nerve? When you can't see what God is doing, when you're frustrated with other people, and if you're really honest, you're frustrated with God as well. Well, James in this text gives us three things to do. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, they're, they're, not, they're not easy. They're really hard things to do. He says to be patient, and to establish your hearts, and don't grumble. Okay? Be patient, establish your hearts, don't grumble. And I, I read that and I think he obviously never stood in line at Walmart customer service trying to return anything. Uh, but be patient, establish your hearts, and don't grumble. Uh, verse 7, he tells us that like a farmer patiently waits for the rain so that his crop will flourish, we too are to be patient and wait. What are we to be patient and wait for? He says we're to wait for the coming of the Lord. Now, this phrase, the coming of the Lord, had almost a technical usage in the New Testament. It was used to refer to the second coming of Jesus. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus was born, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that He ascended to heaven, and that one day He indeed will come again. He's coming again to make all things new. He's coming to finish what he began on Christmas morning, rolling back the effects of the fall. Uh, he, he'll, he'll bring to completion what he started when he uh, returns again. When we really can sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king, and we won't have to wait any longer to see that all come to fruition. We'll see everything bad come untrue as we've talked about. We actually get to see that and not just say that. And so the Bible tells us as we struggle with the difficulties of life to remember that there really is a better day coming for the believer in Jesus Christ and we wait for that. But we also have those periods of time within our lifespan where we wait for God. For we wait for God to make His power and glory manifest in our lives. For we wait for those better days uh, within our lifespan. Uh, there's a book called Waiting for God by Andrew Murray, and in it he quotes Psalm 62, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. 
And he goes on to say that one of the biggest problems the church faces is that we don't know how to wait on God. Uh, he says if we want to see God act powerfully, we need to learn to prayerfully, prayerfully wait on God. That we were never meant to have in ourselves, as he says, a fountain of life or strength or happiness. But that God was to be the communicator to us of what we need moment by moment by moment. And so we are called to wait on Him. Patiently wait on Him. Uh, think about some of the difficulties you might be facing right now in your own life. Are you able to say in the midst of that, my soul waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. Are you busy in that? Busy trying to fasten your own salvation. Uh, anxiously surfing the internet, trying to find the answer to whatever the problem is. Turning in on yourself, trapped in all of your own thoughts, trapped in your own despair. Are you patiently waiting on God? Now, I need to say this, this patience that James calls us to is not a passivity because the farmer who waits also works. He does what he's supposed to do. He, he plants the crop. Okay, He hoes the road. He does the things he's supposed to do. And the patience that James is calling us to is not this fatalistic patience, this giving up patience where we just sit and don't say anything. Uh, Psalm 13 says, and this is the psalmist crying in the midst of difficulty. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 35. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. The Bible encourages us to call out to God in the midst of our difficulties. To bring our groanings to Him even as ultimately we do wait on Him to act. We're in the middle of planting a church here in case you hadn't noticed um, and, and it's hard isn't it it's hard to be patient it's hard to wait we know what we want to see we know where we are now uh, and, and, and there are certain things like the farmer that we need to do to be faithful but one of the most important things we can do as a church is to wait on God to prayerfully wait on God, to cry out to Him, to, to, to build His church, to establish this church. Uh, are you doing that? Uh, you know, I, I, I hear many of you tell me that, yeah, I really am in prayer for Grace Presbyterian Church. And let me encourage you to in, continue in that. To not give up on that, but to continue to, to cry out to the God of our salvation to establish His church. Uh, let me encourage you and invite you as well uh, to, to try to come at 9.15 so that we can pray together as a body of believers. We pray in our individual closets, but then we, we pray together as a church for Him to pour out His Spirit and to establish our church. James calls us to wait patiently. To wait patiently on God to act in our lives. And to wait patiently on the Lord Jesus to return and to ultimately make all things right in you. Now, he says also, and I need to touch on this real briefly, that Jesus' return is closer than we think. He says he's at hand. He's at the door. And you say, well, 
it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come back. That doesn't seem like he's at the door. But Peter would say in 2 Peter that a thousand days to us is like a day in the sight of the Lord. Those of you who read the Chronicles of Narnia know that the Narnia kids, whatever their names are, how they, they go in through the wardrobe and into Narnia and they're there for months on end and they come back and only a few hours have passed. Time isn't the same. God's perspective on time and our perspective on time are not the same. Peter tells us also that if the Lord does delay His return, it's because He's patient with us. That He's patient with us, giving us time to come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then He warns us that when the Lord does come, He'll be like a thief in the night. That will be unexpectedly. And ask us if we're ready. Are we ready for the return of the Lord? Well, if we are, James says, you need to patiently wait for that and long for that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us also that we need to establish our hearts. Now, <clears throat> the word for establish means to strengthen or to stand firmly. It's the same word used of Jesus when it said that He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Um, you may have heard the story of uh, a minister named Hugh Latimer. He's a minister uh, who, along with his friend Nicholas Ridley, was burned at the stake in England in 1555 for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, his last words as they were burned at the stake were this, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. He set his face. He established his heart. His heart was set on serving the Lord no matter what. And James calls us to the same thing, to set our faith. As we have seen the Lord's grace to us, to set our faith on following after Him. There's a third thing James tells us to do. And it's in the midst of difficulty, and it's don't grumble. <laughs> Great. Uh, don't grumble. I mean, isn't, isn't that easy when things aren't going the way that you want them to go? And even if we manage to kind of cram it down inside for a while, then somebody kind of innocently comes along and says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and we just jump all over this person who had nothing to do with, with the real problem that was going on. James says, don't grumble, don't grumble against your brother. Be patient. Establish your hearts. And don't grumble. Alright, let's pray and go home. If, if, if that's all I told you this morning, that really wouldn't be a Christian sermon. That would just be something you could hear from any self-help strategist. Uh, fortunately, James is a Christian, and so he tells us not just what we need to do, but how we're actually going to find the power to do these things. And he tells us if we're going to do this, if we're going to be patient and establish our hearts and refrain from grumbling, that there's certain things we need to remember. Uh, first of all, he tells us that we actually have to remember that the Lord is returning. We have to keep that in our thoughts and minds, that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Jesus is going to act in history decisively. And He's going to act in your individual lives as well. 
Uh, you might be struggling through a time of, of spiritual darkness right now. Uh, God seems to have kind of removed himself from your life. Jesus says that he won't leave you or forsake you. Uh, Jeremiah 31, we read God saying, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. It's Jeremiah 31.25. Uh, if, if you're in the spiritual darkness right now, I'd encourage you to make that verse your hope and your prayer and your cry to God. I, I actually still have that verse written on a, a note card from a very difficult time in my life where I would pray that over and over and, and hope in God to work, to wait on the God of my salvation. Now, the fact that Jesus is going to return and that Jesus is going to act in our lives doesn't mean that, that everything we want to see happen is going to happen, right? Because ultimately, it, it, it ends in death for all of us at one uh, point or the other. But the truth of the matter is, is that over the course of our life, the Lord delights to work in very difficult situations, bringing great light and hope and joy and healing, restoring beauty, restoring relationships uh, where there had been nothing but, but gloom and tears and darkness. And sometimes you can testify to that. You've seen God do that in your lives. The Lord delights to bless His people. The Lord delights to build His church. The Lord promises to pour out His Spirit on His people as we expectantly pray to Him. And so, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God might seem absent from your life right now, but He promises to return. And we need to remember that and look for His return. Uh, secondly, James tells us to remember not, all, not only is Jesus coming to deliver us, Jesus is coming back to judge the earth. And this really is his antidote here to grumbling. Be careful of grumbling, he says, because the judge is at the door. Be careful of grumbling because grumbling brings judgment. Complaining, belly aching, finding fault, being irritable. It ends in judgment. Um, what's the big deal with grumbling? Now, I'm stealing this section from, from, from Tim Keller, but... He, he quotes C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce uh, in which the author uh, of The Great Divorce dreams that he's standing on the outskirts of heaven. Uh, and as he's standing there on the outskirts of heaven, busloads of people come up from hell kind of on these little day trips. And they, they pass through the outskirts of heaven and the people of heaven try to convince the people from hell that they really should stay uh, and, and enjoy heaven. And the people from hell are called ghosts in the book because you can see right through them. And the people from heaven are called the solid people. And in the section I'm going to read, the author is having this conversation with his guide. Okay, there's, a, there's a guide with him as he's watching this busload come up uh, from hell. At this moment, we were suddenly interrupted by the thin voice of a ghost. Now remember, this is one of the, the people from hell. By the thin voice of a ghost talking at an enormous speed. Looking behind us, we saw the creature. It was addressing one of the solid people. 
and was doing so too busily to notice us. Every now and then the solid spirit tried to get in a word, but without success. The ghost talk was like this. Oh my dear, I've had such a dreadful time. I don't know how I ever got here at all. I was coming with Eleanor Stone, and we'd arranged the whole thing, and we were to meet at the corner of Sink Street. I made it perfectly plain because I knew what she was like, and if I told her once, I told her a hundred times I would not meet her outside of that dreadful Marjorie Banks woman's house, not after the way she treated me. That was one of the most dreadful things that happened to me. I've been dying to tell you because I felt sure you'd tell me I acted rightly. No, wait a moment, dear, till I've told you. I tried living with her when I first came, and it was all fixed up. She was to do the cooking, and I was to look after the house, and I did think I was going to be comfortable after all I'd been through, but she turned out to be so changed, absolutely selfish, and not a particle of sympathy for anyone but herself. And as I once said to her, I do think I'm entitled to a little consideration because you at least lived out your time. But I oughtn't to have been here for years and years yet, but of course I'm forgetting you. Don't know. I was murdered. Simply murdered, dear. That man should never have operated. I ought to be alive today. And they simply starved me in that dreadful nursing home. And no one ever came near me. And he writes, the shrill, monotonous whine died away as the speaker moved out of hearing. What troubles you, son? asked my teacher. I am troubled, sir, said I, because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to be the sort of soul that ought to be even in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's only a silly old woman who has got into a habit of grumbling, and one feels that a little kindness and rest and change would put her all right. That is what she once was. That is maybe what she still is. If so, she certainly will be cured. But the whole question is whether she is now a grumbler. I should have thought there was no doubt about that. Yes, but, but you misunderstand me. The question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. If there is a real woman, even the least trace of one, still there inside the grumbling, it can be brought to life again. If there's one wee spark under all those ashes, we'll blow it till the whole pile is red and clear. But if there's nothing but ashes, we'll not go on blowing them in our eyes forever. They must be swept up. But how can there be a grumbler without a but how can there be a grumble without a grumbler? The whole difficulty of understanding hell is that the thing to be understood is so nearly nothing, but you'll have had experiences. It begins with a grumbling mood, and yourself still distinct from it, perhaps criticizing it, and yourself in a dark hour may will that mood, embrace it. You can repent and come out of it again. But there may come a day when you can do that no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood, nor even to enjoy it, but, this, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood, nor even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. Lewis uh, once wrote in, a, in a, the preface to another book, that a vote for Satan is a vote for hell, and a vote for hell is a vote for endless autobiography. A vote for endless autobiography. Keller says, there's nothing more miserable than not being able to get outside of your own needs. Hell is endless autobiography, absolute self-absorption. Absorption. Why aren't you doing this for me? 
That's grumbling. Why aren't you doing this for me? And if the grumbling goes on and on and on and on, eventually you become nothing but a grumble. James is telling us, remember that Jesus comes to deliver his people, but if you are one who is constantly grumbling and complaining, you're walking in the way of hell and not in the way of heaven. Grumbling brings and leads to judgment. Uh, the third thing James, third thing James tells us to remember, he tells us to remember the examples of those who have gone before us. Uh, as an example of suffering and patience, he tells us to remember the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and you think about some of them. Jeremiah was hunted down by men from his own hometown because they didn't want him to speak the word of the Lord any longer. Uh, God told Isaiah to go and to preach to the people, and he said, oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. Hosea is called to go and to marry a woman who will continually be unfaithful to him. And if those prophets hadn't remained steadfast, you never would have heard of them. James says, remember the prophets who remained faithful even unto death. We remember these examples. And you can think of godly examples today. Perhaps people in your own life who have uh, battled courageously against disease or sickness and yet have remained faithful to the Lord. Uh, we, we think of the example of, of Joni Erickson who has spent her life in a wheelchair and yet remained faithful uh, and joyful as she serves the Lord. Think of Jim Elliott's wife. Uh, Jim Elliott, one of the, the missionaries who went to try to reach the Aka Indians, uh, and those men were killed by the, by the Indians, and yet Jim Elliott's wife and his daughter and one of the sisters of one of those missionaries went back to those Indians and saw many of them come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to remember the example of those who have gone before us, but remember as well that their lives wouldn't be considered successful or fulfilling by our American standards. Yet they were faithful and steadfast to the Lord. James tells us to remember also that God is at work. He says, remember how you've seen the purposes of God accomplished in the life of Job. I find it so interesting that he mentions Job as an example of steadfastness here, and that really gives me hope. Uh, Because if you look at Job's life, it wasn't like, Man, I'm, I'm on this all the time. Job really wrestled and struggled to remain steadfast. He had to deal with a lot of um, bad words from his friends that weren't very helpful to him. He really wrestled with God, but he remained faithful. And God did a great work in his life. He did a great work in Job's life, and he even restored him to where he had more wealth than he had to start with. Now, let me say two quick things about that. Um, If things are very dark in your life right now, one is this, you don't know what God may be doing. You don't know what God may bring about in your situation. You don't know how He may really in the end prosper you. But, uh, even if it doesn't work out the way you hope, even if things from a worldly perspective don't get better you can be confident that God is ultimately working for the good of his people that he's ultimately working for your good there's a good end in sight 
You know, there's some movies that are that would be hard to watch if you didn't know that they ended well. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know that the movie of your life is going to end well. Why? Why? How can you know that? Because death isn't the end of the movie. It's not the end of the movie of your life if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work. Resurrection is at the end of your movie. It's at the end of your life. Your life doesn't end. The same power that was at work in the Lord Jesus Christ to raise Him from the dead is at work in your life now. And finally, James tells us to remember who God is. To remember the character of God. He says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, How can I be patient? I have to remember Jesus because of His compassion and mercy for me, patiently going to the cross on my behalf. How can I refrain from grumbling? I have to remember where it leads, but I have to remember as well the one who didn't grumble, but who willingly went to the cross for me. Jesus Christ died for grumblers so that they wouldn't uh, change into a grumble that goes on forever, but so that they would become the people that they were always meant to be, beings who would praise God and love their neighbor for all eternity. That's how I refrain from grumbling. How can I establish my heart? I remember Jesus setting His face to go to Jerusalem with me in mind as He headed to that cross to die for my sins. See, that cross of Christ says something, it says that there's something dreadfully wrong with us. And because of that, many of us are offended by it. Let me encourage you not to be offended by the one thing that can actually set you free. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, and I'll close with this. Look for yourself, and you'll find loneliness and despair. But look for Christ, and you'll find Him and everything else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you give us eyes not to look for ourselves, not to try to find my life, but you would give us would you give us a heart to lose our lives and to gain Jesus Christ and with him all things. We pray it in his name. Amen.